Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The first half of Exodus is full of wonderful stories of many miracles that God accomplished for his people as he led them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness. Accordingly, many Christians have little interest in Exodus after chapter 14. But the second half of this book unveils the details of God's intention and his ultimate desire for all of his people, and the riches of his full salvation are covered in these chapters. To miss them is to be robbed of the riches of his full revelation. Joining us for another opportunity to delve into the book of Exodus is Dick Taylor. Dick, as always, we appreciate your being here. It is really wonderful to be here, and my word to all of you who are listening is stay tuned to the second half of Exodus. The first half meets our needs. The second half meets God's need. Really glad that you said that, Dick. I was looking for a way to try to express it, and you did it very well, so I'll just say amen. Dick, many Christians may not even realize that the entire book of Exodus is a book that unveils God's salvation in full. All of the great stories in the early chapters are popular in Sunday school and occasionally in Bible studies, but we really don't want to ignore the last half of the book. What are the major items revealed in this lesser-known side of Exodus? Well, the main point in Exodus is God's redemption and salvation. But the danger is to only have a small view of of God's salvation. His salvation is all-inclusive, all the way from redeeming us by the Passover lamb, bringing forth an exodus, leading us into the wilderness, reconstituting us through the eating and enjoyment of himself as the manna. But the goal of his salvation is the building up of the dwelling place of God for his expression. And for this, he needs us just to be with him. So this is so precious here. The Lord's desire is that we would be with him, transfused with him, infused with him, saturated and permeated. And how did he do this? He did this, we see, by his speaking the Ten Commandments with all the ordinances, which are the details and supplements to the commandments. It's through his speaking that he desires to infuse us and transfuse us with himself because God's speaking is his breathing. He didn't want a bunch of doing out of his speaking. He wanted a bunch of infusion and transfusion to the point where we are saturated with him, built together in him as his dwelling place for his expression. So in this section, we come to not just the Ten Commandments, but all the details and supplements to these commandments, showing us more how to worship the Lord, enjoy the Lord, so that we're totally infused and transfused with him and build it up in him for his dwelling place. Well, that is really God's full salvation, and that's what we want to explore on this program and on several that are ahead. So let's join Witness Lee for the first portion of his message today. The all-inclusive salvation of God includes the entire book of Exodus, beginning with God's redemption. 
and uh, going on to God's building of His habitation on this earth. In other words, if you and I would only have been redeemed and saved to a point that we still don't have God's building, or we still are not God's dwelling place on this earth. We haven't partaken of God's entire salvation. God's entire salvation includes that all his redeemed people to become his habitation on this earth. This is why we need to uh, study this book. Today, among the Christians, millions, millions redeemed and saved persons. But I don't think you could find a few hundred who are now enjoying to be the habitation of God on this earth. Their exodus probably only have 14 chapters. In chapter 12, the children of Israel were what? Redeemed by the Passover lamb. In chapter 14, they were delivered. They were saved from Egypt. So they were redeemed and they were saved. Christians today, good Christians, they are still remaining where? In Egypt. They have never crossed the Red Sea. In a good sense, they got redeemed by God. But, start to say, they have never been saved. They have never been saved out of the world. Out of Pharaoh's slavery. Some, not too many, came out of the world, but they stopped there. No further going on. Mount Sinai is called the Mount of God. It is here that the redeemed people have been brought into a direct fellowship with God. This is not a small thing. When Mount Sinai was reached, by the redeemed people, that was after 25 centuries of man's creation. In other words, in all those 2,500 years, people never on this earth had been brought into such a direct fellowship. While children of Israel were there, God was there. They feasted with God. The entire book of 40 chapters is on God's salvation. Dick, it's very possible to be those who've experienced and received redemption based upon Christ's all-inclusive death and even the shedding of his blood, and also be those who've received a saving and a deliverance from the tyranny of Satan as represented by Pharaoh and his armies, and yet we still might be short of God's full salvation. How can this be possible? This is possible if we don't see the full view. That's why we need the entire book of Exodus. The entire book of Exodus shows us 
the picture of God's all-inclusive salvation. As we mentioned, his desire is not just to redeem us, not just to bring forth an exodus, but his goal is to bring us to himself, saturate us with himself, cause us to become one with him, to be his building for his testimony. So the book of Exodus has 40 chapters. The problem is we may only have 14 chapters in our book, which means we only know about the Exodus out of Egypt into the wilderness. But that's not God's goal. God's goal is realized at the point where he begins to speak what we call the Ten Commandments with all the detailed supplements. At that point, he's infusing man with himself with the goal that man would be constituted with him, build it up in him, and become his dwelling place. So the goal of God's salvation and the goal of this book and the goal of the Bible is building. He builds his dwelling place by building himself into us. Through all of his speaking, including the details and the supplements to the Ten Commandments, which we call the ordinances, he's just infusing and transfusing us with his life element and his essence building and working himself into us so that we could be constituted with him for his expression. God's goal we see in Ephesians 2 in the New Testament for we believers. It's not just to be redeemed. It's not just to merely get out of the world. And sorry to say, Chris, many of the Christians are not out of the world yet. We may be Christians, but still living in the world. The Lord wants us separated unto himself to hold a feast unto him so that he can reconstitute us with himself. In the New Testament, we see God's goal is the building. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 tell us, in whom, that's in Christ, all the building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. So we do not want to be short of God's full salvation. God's full salvation issues in and includes the building up of his dwelling place. May we, through this broadcast, open our being and say, Oh, Lord, I don't want to miss the greatest part of your salvation. That is your building. Infuse me. Transfuse me while I'm listening with yourself for your building. Well, Dick, you mentioned the ordinances that appear in this portion of the book of Exodus. The law is thought of, quite generally speaking, usually as the Ten Commandments. Actually, according to the Scripture, there's much more included in the law than just those ten original, very well-known commandments. And it's in these details that a lot is unfolded and developed in God's full salvation. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We Christians are being praised with the wrong teaching that the law is just the Ten Commandments. The law is much more than that. The ordinances are the supplement of the Ten Commandments. Yes, you may consider the Ten Commandments as the main law. And this main law needs a big supplement. And with many, many details, half of Exodus and the entire books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Three and a half books are on the supplement and details of the law. So here, you have first ordinances of the law concerning the worship of God. I'd like to uh, read to you these few verses. Verse 
22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have tapped you from heaven. What does this mean? Does this have something to do with our worship to God? Surely it does. This word indicates God is the living God, and God is speaking God. Verse 23, You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. This is a supplement and a detail to the first two commandments. In the first two commandments, we are told that we shouldn't have any gods other than God. We shouldn't have any idols. You have me already. You have one husband that should be unique. Don't have other husband. Then you have to consider why only gold and silver are mentioned here. These give us a kind of implication. That is, don't worship gold and silver. This fits in the word of the Lord Jesus. And he told us in Matthew, you cannot serve God and at the same time serve money. In other words, you cannot serve God and at the same time serve gold and silver. Dear saints, if we are going to worship God in a pure way, you have to realize that all idols have to go, even the laying hold on the riches. Even this has to go. Our experiences do tell us that as long as we lay hold on our riches, our worship is somewhat annulled. We couldn't have the genuine and pure worship to God as long as we lay hold on our riches. Well, Dick, beginning here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22, the Lord gives his people a seemingly countless number of ordinances to supplement the original Ten Commandments. What about this example of the first ordinances given in verses 22 and 23? And Jehovah said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. What did these verses show us as they relate to the original Ten Commandments, Dick? These verses take us back to the first two of the Ten Commandments, about not having any other God beside the unique God, that is, God himself. I really appreciate verse 23, which you quoted, Chris. You shall not make other gods besides me. Actually, the word besides, you could also translate with me. God is a jealous God. I really like, for example, 2 Corinthians 11:2, where Paul says, I am jealous over you with a jealousy of God. I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a pure virgin to Christ. It's one thing to completely leave the Lord. That is a gross sin. But it is also a tremendous offense to the Lord to have another God with him. 
just like a husband would never tolerate his wife having two husbands. He must be the unique husband. Our Lord is very jealous. He's strengthening the original two commandments concerning God's jealousy that we would be intimately and affectionately, lovingly joined to him alone. He is our unique husband. This is a subtle thing because sometimes we may not leave the Lord for an outward statue or something like that. But I tell you one thing that we leave for many times, and that's money. That's why Paul charged Timothy in 1 Timothy, charge those who are rich in the present age not to be high-minded nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who affords us all things richly for our enjoyment. We must set our hope uniquely on Christ, our unique husband. We love him and him alone. Riches cannot come in to compete with him. Matthew 6:24 says you cannot love God and mammon, or we could say God and money or riches. There cannot be any competition. Our God must have the preeminence. This just directs us to himself intimately, affectionately, and uniquely. We want him alone. Another verse I'm thinking of, too, is uh, 2 Timothy 2. It says, uh, flee youthful lusts. That means lusting after anything that would even compete with the Lord. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's Matthew 5. So the Lord's desire is that we would never replace him with anything, and we would have no God with him. He would be our unique God. Sometimes gold becomes our God. But we need to knock the L out of the word gold so that we have nothing but God. Dick, you mentioned Matthew 5, and blessed are the pure in heart. I recall a footnote in the recovery version on that verse that defines the word pure there. A pure heart is a heart that just has one thing in it. That's why it's pure. The heart that we need before the Lord is one that just has God himself in it. Well, Dick, we read these verses on idols. Next in chapter 20 are three verses touching the matter of the altar that the people were commanded to build. We want to get into these verses in our final portion today. Here's verses 24 and 25. An altar of earth you shall make for me and shall sacrifice on it. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you lift up your tool upon it, you have polluted it. Very interesting verses, Dick. I'm looking forward to this final section. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Well, no. Hebrew 13.10 says that we have an altar. That is the cross. We all agree with this one thing, that in the Old Testament, it was altar, and in the New Testament, it is cross of God. No fallen man can worship God directly. Without an altar, we must worship God through an altar. Through the altar, you have the process of death and resurrection. In this process of death and resurrection, you have the redemption. You have the termination of all the negative things. The word altar implies a lot. On the altar, you have the death, you have the burning, and you have the resurrection. 
Without the altar, there's not such a process. If God didn't work and prepare such a cross, we can do nothing. God prepared by His work already a cross in this universe for you to worship God. And you have to receive this. You have to take this. You have to say amen to God's preparation with thanks. Thank you, God, that you have prepared such a cross for me to worship you. I don't need to do anything. I just receive it. Have you seen the availability of the cross? In this receiving of the cross, there should be no man's work aided. You just use the natural stones and put them together, you have an altar. You may say, that's too rough. I like to hew it to make it beautiful. Then you what? You pollute it. Man's work is just a pollution to God's work of preparation. Don't add anything. If you study the church history, you could find out century after century, many, many so-called devoted people, they all tried to beautify God's preparation work. They say, that is too rough. That's too natural. That doesn't have beauty. Let me do something to make it beautiful. Even today, many so-called ministers, they don't like to speak the simple word. They think this is a kind of foolishness. Just like Paul mentioned in First Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said, I just preach cross. To the Jews, standing block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to us, God's call ones, it is power of God, and it is the wisdom of God. No beauty, but power is here. The wisdom is here. Dick, the altar in the Old Testament was the place where the sacrifices were offered. This item, the altar, has a clear counterpart in the New Testament. Why would the Lord be careful to instruct the people not to pollute the altar by adding anything to it of their own workmanship? I love these three words you mentioned in your speaking, Chris. Sacrifices, clear counterpart in the New Testament, and pollute. These three words will help us. Uh, Number one is the altar in the Old Testament refers to the cross in the New Testament. And the cross is what is absolutely needed for man's worship of God. What does the cross signify? The cross signifies death and resurrection. The cross signifies the termination of everything negative and the resurrection of everything positive. Intrinsically, what does the cross refer to? The cross refers to the crucified and resurrected Christ. Apart from this Christ, the crucified and resurrected Christ, there is no worship of God. So to worship God, we must have the altar. And we must have the altar that God prepared for us, not something that we make. What we make becomes a pollution 
to what He has prepared. The altar that God has prepared for us is the crucified and resurrected and God-satisfying Christ. May we never take another way of worshiping God other than the crucified, resurrected, and God-satisfying Christ. I just love him, don't you, Chris? Oh, I do too, Dick. And when you think about it, how could any of us add anything to that picture? None of us can add anything to this God-prepared altar, which is just Christ. We should just receive this cross, this altar, this prepared Christ, with all the circumstances in our living, by saying, Amen, and receive this altar with much thanksgiving. We'll be the most blessed people, and our worship to God will be full of the enjoyment of Christ. Amen. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Are you enjoying this program online or on a smartphone right now? Did you know there's much more from Living Stream Ministry that you can carry with you? Go to lsm.org ePublications to discover all that we have available for your tablet, e-reader, or smartphone. We support Kindle, Nook, iSilo, and ePub formats, which means you can read this ministry on any PC, Mac, Android, Palm, Blackberry, Sony, or Linux device. Everything from the recovery version of the Bible to the complete life study messages and a vast array of other titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee are now just a touch away. The Word of God is rich and weighty, but now you can take it with you wherever you go. Again, the website, lsm.org slash ePublications. Thanks for listening today.